right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever we have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this like you mean it, all right? This is my Bible. God's holy word. This book is alive, and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare, by faith, I can do all it says I can do. I can be all it says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job, you guys. Now, this morning, we're in John 6 to start with, and then I'm going to read just two verses, then we're going to go over to Mark 6, which is the same story, but I like the way that Mark gives a few more details that can help us, so same story, just two different perspectives, okay? John 6, verses 12 and 13 say this, and everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So this is a story about the five feeding of the 5,000. So they picked up uh, the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps by the pe- left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So we have a situation, or not a situation, a story where Jesus is feeding 5,000 people. Mark 6, 42 through 52. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up the 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples, listen, he made his disciples get into the boat. It wasn't like, they, let me go, Jesus, let me know. They didn't want to leave Jesus, so he made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the, on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for, when the, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he, he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up to the boat, went up into the boat and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were, were hardened. I don't know about you, but it's like that, that verse shouldn't be there. It doesn't fit, kind of. Uh, so I want to bring two observations to you from the, uh, from the four scriptures. Mark, uh, or John 6, 12 and 13. After everything was full, Jesus was, uh, told his disciples... Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. So I I took a title for this message from these these two verses. I'm going to call it Save the Scraps, all right? Mark 6.52, for they had not understood about the loaves 
because their heart was hardened. So it, it seemed to me like, what? All of a sudden, we have one miracle after miracle after miracle, and all of a sudden, Jesus is kind of like upset with them, all right? And then it says, for they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. That word hardened is the Greek word pro-o-o, and it means dull, calloused, with no power to understand. So when your heart gets hardened, if you're having a hard time understanding, in fact, every time you're around the word, you should pray, Holy Spirit, open my heart that I might understand. But what happens, it's like wearing a callus. You don't realize a callus is being formed when you do something so many times. Like for instance, in in school, when they used to make us write instead of using tablets and all that now, we used to have to write. I had a callus on my left hand from writing with my pencil. And that's what happens to a, a heart, a callus, a, 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 something hard gets formed over that, and you don't even know it's happening until all of a sudden one day you look down and there's a covering over your heart. And it makes you not realize what God is up to in your life. So my heart today is to teach us what happens between the miracles. So the miracles, let me just, the miracles are the frames. So it's like this uh, screen here is a frame on the outside. The frame is the miracles. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and in between is the picture that I want to talk about mostly. But first we'll talk about the frame, all right? So you and I need to know the miracle is in not what we've lost or what we have consumed previously. So this is a story about them eating bread. And our best days are not our yesterdays, but our, uh, and you can write this down, a key for all of us, your miracle and my miracle is in what you and I have left, all right? That's where your miracle is. So this is the frame part. What you have left is the key to the frame. So you might want to write this down. This will take a little bit of time, but write this down. If you discard it, if you ignore it, if you don't use it, if you don't value it, if you don't learn from it, if you don't understand it, then you will lose the battle that's before you. In other words, in front of you. Because you didn't learn from the battle behind you. So let me read that again. If you discard it, if you ignore it, if you don't use it, if you don't value it, if you don't learn from it, if you don't understand it, then you will lose the battle that's right in front of you or before you and because you didn't learn from the battle behind you. So the big idea today is save the scraps or save the leftovers, all right? So you and I need to know that which remains is more valuable than that which was lost. Now, this is a story of a miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people, 5,000 men actually, but I want to talk to you about more what happens between the miracles But remember, the miracles are the frame and the in-between is the picture. Being with Jesus can sometimes cause us to get all caught up with the frame and miss who Jesus is. We get caught up with the miracles and miss just being with him. Now, up until now, as we've been going through the book of John, which uh, at this point he's still widely unknown. I mean, he's the son of a carpenter. He's from Nazareth. He's a nobody. So without the benefits of technology, Jesus begins his ministry. 
I say that because that's how we begin everything now. Get it on Facebook, get it on Instagram, get it on TikTok, whatever, and make sure everybody sees it. But Jesus just fell in love with his Father and the Holy Spirit, and things begin to happen. So much so that at the wedding of Cana, he turned the water into wine, but only a few saw it. Uh, he moves from there to where Nicodemus, a Pharisee, slips to, in to see him at night so that no one else could tell that he was interested in Jesus. Jesus continues his ministry, sits down by a well to minister to a Samaritan woman, which then leads to Jesus and his disciples ministering to a whole Samaritan village and letting him know who the Messiah is. Now, the word is beginning to spread about Jesus, uh, which he's drawn a small following at this point, which brings us to our story today. 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. And so they're gathered to hear Jesus speak, which means if they had counted the women and children, there was probably 15 to 20,000 people there to hear Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is quite a feat because Jesus had no business cards. He had no cell phone. He had no internet. He had no TV ministry. He had no radio ministry. He had no microphone. Yet people hung around all day just to hear some words come from him because they were so powerful, so captivating, and so anointed that they came from all over Israel just hoping that one of his words would land on them and change their lives. So they would have rather fainted from hunger than to miss his words. That's quite a thought. That is why, see, some of you are thinking, when's he going to be done? Because I need my lunch. But they said they would rather hear his words than to leave. And that's why the Bible tells us, man shall not live by bread alone, which you can tell I have some, some bread up here. I don't think the bread they had that day was wrapped in nice, but it was, it's, it's there. So, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but why what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So these folks, given a choice between natural bread and spiritual bread, they choose the living bread of life. So his young executive board, uh, which were his disciples, gathered around him and said, "Uh, Sir, we have a problem. And he says, Okay, boys, what is it? And they say to him, Well, Pastor, you have been very long-winded today. (laughs) Which happens to pastors once in a while. I'm making no promises to any of you today. But here's what happens. And the people, uh, they say to him, the people are about to faint of hunger and uh, we have no food, so you need to send them away, disperse your meeting and quit talking. And Jesus says, what do you have? In other words, you give them something to eat. Now, see, how many love it when Jesus, we want Jesus to do it, but when Jesus asks us to do it, uh, we don't volunteer. Come on. So you can write this down. Miracles always begin with the recognition of what you have. That's good. Come on. If you don't recognize what you have, you can't me- multiply what you don't recognize. So the question is, what do you have? Most of you know the story, but for those of you who don't know the rest of this, there's a little boy with two fish and five loaves of bread. And uh, what's ironic to me is I looked at the story is they didn't even count the women or the children, 
and yet you'll want to write this one down. The one who wasn't counted was the one who had the miracle. Isn't it amazing that God uses people that other people don't even count? They, They were so busy, especially little kids. And I'm telling you, you guys ought to see what God's doing in our children's ministry. It's amazing. But anyway, I'll tell you. They were so busy counting the ones they thought were significant that they missed the one that God moved into position to give them a blessing and a miracle. So big, that would be unbelievable. And it's not in anything that you counted or I counted. God will always use something that was not counted to produce the miracles. So... You know how the miracle came about? Somebody is not even mentioning the story. A mom. The mom packed the lunch. And I bet she's sitting there buttering the bread and doing all this stuff and putting it together and thinking, I can't wait to give this to little Johnny today. And, and uh, you know, she, uh, I, I read in somewhere in some, in some uh, commentary, it was pickled fish. It was probably sardines. That's what I think, yeah. I'm just kidding, okay. I'm going to take these home and eat them later, okay. Anyway, so uh, what happens is she's making the lunch, probably not even thinking, you know, this is going to touch thousands of people's lives. Just, just take care of Johnny while he's at the deal. And Casey, because to me that seems like a big lunch, five loaves of bread for two small fish. But anyway, she packed a good lunch, and as she does, Jesus says, what do we have? What do you have? And Andrew finds this boy. I don't know if he brought the boy, but he's, he, he took his lunch. And, <laughs> and he brings it to Jesus. So write this down. Jesus had them sit down in groups of 50. That means, I want you to hear this clearly, because I have people say stuff like this. Jesus had them sit down in groups of 50. That means there was structure, organization, and it took time. And I think what happens, see, 5,000 men with their wives and their children, we're assuming they only had one, but they could have had two kids, which means at least fifteen to 20,000 people. I think there were probably more than that. So they're there, and he has them sit down in groups of 50, and I don't know about you, but sitting that many people down in groups of 50 is a miracle in itself. And sometimes we get so busy for what God has that we don't provide the structure to sustain what he has given. I want you to, that's why it's so important. People knock organization. I've had people say to me, you just need to flow by the Holy Spirit. Well, I want you to know you would hate it if I didn't study a little bit. Doing a little bit of studying, getting ready and preparing is the structure that will sustain the word that's preached. So what happens is... uh, we, if, if we want to reach more people, we need to provide structure for more children's workers. We need to provide a structure for more fresh start workers for people getting saved. We need more equipped teachers to help people get plugged into the house. We need more audio video people uh, to help us have greater worship. We need more ushers, door greeters, parking lot attendants, more worship teams and leaders and more city group leaders and more host homes so when the miracle of thousands comes, when it shows up, it can be sustained. That's why there should never be a pew sitter if you call yourself a Christian because then you become a stinky Christian. That's all good. Come on. Okay, I'm, 
I'll get off my soapbox. Okay. So when they'd all been seated, I, d- I just want you to see, miracles have to be sustained by structure. And when they'd all been seated in place and had been counted, then the miracle begins to occur. So Jesus took the time to be prepared for what he was about to do. And Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish. And this is important. He takes the bread. He takes the fish. And here's what we need to do. Take whatever you've got, lift it up to the Lord, and he blesses it. And let me just say this. You can, this is so important. Write this down. He blesses or gives uh, thanks for something that is not enough. So if you think this is enough to feed this group of people here? No, not even all of that. It's not enough. Unless all of you just get one bite full. That's about it. And once I take your bite, because I take big bites, uh, (laughs) you won't be any for you. All right, so here's what you do. You lift it up to the Lord and say, God, I'm so thankful for what is not enough. I'm thankful for the house that, that I have, even though I don't feel like it's, what I, it's enough of what I want. Lord, I thank you for the job uh, I, I have, even though it's not what I wanted. Lord, I thank you for the marriage that I have, even though it's not what I expected. Just turn to your life or your husband right now and say, you're not what I expected. But once I pray over you, you're going to become the man or woman of God I called you to be. All right. I, I, I'm thankful for this child. Even though my, he's not living or she's not living up to my expectations. And I lift them up to you and I thank you for them and for it. And I know this, Lord, that once I lift it up to you, you can multiply it. Without thankfulness, nothing can be multiplied. An ungrateful heart, God will multiply what you have. But when you become thankful for what he's done, what he's given you, multiplication can happen. So Jesus takes the lunch, lifts it up to heaven, to his heavenly father, blesses it. And when he did that, we know he had two fish and five loaves of bread. That's what he had. But when he broke it, This is where we start losing count. What I want you to see is that multiplication comes in the breaking. See, we should all understand that the blessing is in the breaking. We talked last week about how God breaks through for broken people, but I want you to know, broken people are humble people. Broken people can be used by God. It's those that are too proud to admit they have a need or they are too proud to say, I need God in my life. And God says, once you allow me to get in your brokenness, I can multiply your life and I can help you minister to so many other people because you're humble enough to admit you needed it in the first place. So people got fed through the breaking process and people have been through those tough times, love to help others and their tough times and feed others, all right? So the power in this text, I want you to get this, is not in what they ate, but in what they had left. So this is what they had left, or at least we think. They they had some some baskets, all right? Now, I want you to get this. This is so important. God purposely designed this miracle so there would be leftovers. See, I don't know if you've noticed but a good chef, I'm not talking about grandma now, I'm, I'm talking about a good chef. A good chef never misses the amount. Grandma always makes more than enough, but 
A good chef never misses the amount for what he is preparing for his guests, all right? But our God is a great chef, and he purposely planned for them to have more than enough. That is why one of his names is El Shaddai, which means the God who is the sufficient one and the God who is more than enough. Uh, You need to know that about your God. He's the sufficient one. He's more than enough. And David said, my cup runs over. Anybody pouring would pour it right up to the brim or a little bit less, but not our God. He overflows your cup. Do you know why? He wants you to have more than enough so you have an inheritance to give to your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. And by the way, to do that, take some organization. Okay, so... Have you ever noticed that leftovers taste better on the second day? I'm just saying. So I went to an expert on leftovers. I googled leftovers <laughs> to see what the top 10 were. And here's the top 10 leftovers. I'm just going to give you a couple of them. Somebody said, pizza. Yes, pizza is number 10 on the list. Number seven on the list, though, is pies and cobblers. And the reason I tell you that is because that's my favorite leftover. I loved my grandma's cobblers. She made peach cobbler, could eat it for days after it was um, made. Number six on the list was custards and puddings. And they said when, it, when it's left overnight and it marinates with the crust and the graham crackers in there, and then you taste it the next morning. See, now you're thinking about lunch. Come see me afterwards, I'll give you some M&Ms. Okay. But they said there's nothing more delicious on the second day than that banana pudding. But the number one leftover is turkey and trimmings. The, the, the turkey, the gravy, the mashed potatoes, the sweet potatoes, the dressing. Come on. Do you know why they said, and here's, they put a little note. The reason it's better on the second day, because if you have guests staying over at your house, you don't have to make a meal for them, (laughs) which I would agree with, all right? So, but there's a problem in this story for me. When the miracle is over, God tells the disciples to pick up the scraps. They pick up 12 baskets full from the dirt and the grass. That's some serious overcooking, by the way. And Jesus had them load the baskets on the boat and then makes them get in the boat with the 12 baskets of scraps. Now, here's my dilemma. Why did he have them pick up the scraps? My first thought was, well, maybe they'll get hungry on the way over uh, from there to Bethsaida. And, uh, but then I thought, Who, who's going to eat scraps that other people put their mouths on, half-eaten fish with bones. Who's going to be eating that stuff out of the dirt and out of the grass? I can't imagine Jesus doing that since he's a great chef. So that's the frame, all right? Now, here's, here's the picture. Remember, the picture is between the frame. In this case, the picture is what happens between the miracles. So you can write this down. Often storms and testing follow blessings and miracles. There's a good example of this, examples of this all the way through scripture. So this is the biggest miracle Jesus has, has ever done in magnitude, and he, and he had, had never had this many people at one of his miracles. So there were probably, uh, again, like I said, 
15, anywhere from 15 to 20, 25,000 people who left to tell everyone the miracle they just witnessed and how they had just eaten something that he had touched, blessed, and broke. And so we know that at least 100,000 people are probably going to know because everybody tells at least three to four. So at least 100,000 people will probably know within hours. You can't believe what I just witnessed. You can't believe it. This man, Jesus, took two fish, five loaves, and fed thousands of us. And I want you to know, I believe he's the Messiah. So Jesus goes to the mountain to pray to prepare for the burden of the blessing. I want you to hear this. That every time you get blessed, every time God intervenes in your life and there's a miracle, there's a burden that comes with it. And he's praying, oh, Father, I've done it now. More people know than they've ever known before. More people are going to tell more people, and this is going to spread from thousands to probably a couple million here in this country that we have. So, Lord, I just want you to know, I need your help because I know things are heating up, and I know the Pharisees are going to get upset, and I know the cross is coming near. So while he's praying, though, in the natural, the weather has begun to change. The temperature's dropping. The wind has picked up, so much so that by the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., a great storm has come up. And the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee being tossed to and fro. And by this time, it's been about, they've they've been rowing for eight straight hours. I don't know about you, but just after a couple hours rowing, I'd be saying, Jesus, are you going to show up? But, you know, he's not there. So they tell, the story tells us Jesus is on the mountain. He sees that his disciples are in trouble and have been rowing hard for these eight hours. Aren't you glad that God sees you even when he's not present physically? He sees right where you're at. He knows your situation. He knows what you're going through. And, and we don't know he's watching. I like the song. We, even though we can't see it, even though we can't feel it, he's working. And God is. The all-knowing God, he sees you and he knows about your situation. I want you to know this morning, our God knows where you are at. Our God knows what's going on around you. He knows the storm that's breaking out in your life. He knows how you're dealing with the storm, and he knows when you've had enough, and he knows when he needs to walk by your life. So, we have a crisis. We have a storm over here, and we have the power over here. And there's this great distance between the problem and the power unless we can reconcile the two. There will be no miracle, there will be no intervention with the problem and with the power. So between the problem, there are three things that are not on your notes, but you might want to write them down. There's distance, there's danger, and there's darkness. Any one of these three three things should have stopped the power over here from getting to the problem over here. But when God gets ready to get to you, I want you to know there is no distance, there is no darkness, there is no danger that can keep God to get to your life. So he doesn't need to hire a boat to get to you because he has the advantage, now listen, he has the advantage to be able to walk on the water. He has the advantage to walk on what's 
threatening to take you under. So you can write this down. He's the water-walking God. He walks on the stuff that you and I are about to drown in. So through the distance, through the danger, through the darkness, he comes walking over the stuff that they're drowning in. He is walking on the storm and through the storm. Now, I would have thought that as he was walking near them, that he would have come to them. But it says he would have passed them by. And I, I want you to understand, there's, there's something every one of us need to know. Our God will never break, you can write this down, our God will never break in to your calamity if he's not invited into it. I hope you hear that. He's got to be invited. Blind Bartimaeus wouldn't have been healed from his blindness had he not cried out. The 10 lepers would not have been cleansed if they hadn't asked. The woman with the issue of blood would have never been healed had she not crawled over a bunch of people and, and upset maybe a few, but grabbed the hold of his, him of his garment and got healed. Jesus coming near them without coming to them indicates our responsibility to get engaged with Jesus. He doesn't just want to be a recipient or he doesn't want you to just be a recipient of the blessings. You and I have a responsibility to call out to him to make it happen. So many people, why did God let this happen? Did you talk to him? Did you call on him? Did you cry out to him? Well, no, I just thought he'd intervene. He will intervene when you go, help me! That's when he intervenes. I've watched moms and their kids, their kid could be in trouble. They could have their, their head stuck between the fence. No big deal. But all of a sudden, help! Does the mom just sit there? No. She goes crazy too. And they're both crazy after that. And then trying to get their head up. Jesus is saying, I've come as close as I'm going to come. And I've done as much as I'm going to do. Now the rest is on you. If you want me to do something for you in your storm, then invite me into it. All right? Now, we can't blame the disciples for not inviting Jesus because they didn't think he was Jesus. They thought he was a ghost. Let me just say this too. Oftentimes, when we call on God, he will come in a different form than you think he will. And so don't shut him out. He might just come in me or in Lois or in somebody else that you're sitting by. It, and you might go, you know, I just want Jesus. Well, he sent you Doug. Yeah. Come on now. Just saying. So anyway, he, he, he comes by them. Then he speaks to them in the storm, and he says, be of good cheer, boys. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, the story tells us this. They did not recognize his face. They did not recognize his gait or his walk. They recognized his voice. And as soon as he said, be of good cheer, boys, it is I, they said, it's Jesus. And that's why John 10 tells us this. My sheep will know my voice. And I'm telling you this morning, he will talk to you in your storm. And when he does, invite him into the boat. So in this story, the next thing we see is Jesus gets in the boat and get this. The wind stops. The wind ceased. It's just done. Now, this is really important. Do you know what? And you can write this down. The storm was never really a storm. The storm was never about the storm. It was a test. This storm 
is a teaching opportunity for Jesus and the controlled in a controlled environment. He wants, he's going to make leaders out of these guys. He didn't rebuke the wind and the waves, but when he got into the boat, the wind and the waves had to step back. Uh, it's like, it's just like, uh-oh, Jesus is in the boat, stop. When Jesus gets in your boat, whatever's coming against you has to stop. The wind was only sent to create an environment for the disciples to have a discovery about who Jesus is. Often the storms and the trouble that comes into our lives have not come to break us, but it has come to introduce us to see Jesus, our Savior, in a brand new way. All right? Now, so the storm was a test. How many like open book tests? I love open book tests. Do you know why? It means you don't have to study for the test. (laughs) All the questions are in the book, and the answers are in the back of the book. So that's when I, that, so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm realized that's, th- this storm was a test and the scraps are on the boat and I couldn't understand why they were there in the first place because you couldn't eat them. But all of a sudden I realized the scraps were the answer to the test. I want you to hear this. See, when he got on the boat, he was not disappointed that they were in a storm and he wasn't disappointed by their uh, their. Being, them being afraid. He wasn't disappointed uh, in, in the way uh, they were scared about the whole situation. He was, he was disappointed that they didn't consider the scraps that came from the loaves. So you can write this down. The lesson for the test before them or in front of them was in the answer from the test behind them. I hope you get this because every test you and I go through, every miracle we've ever seen was preparation for our future. So God never intends for you to go through something and not get something out of it. So God, God was disappointed that they didn't look at the scraps and say, and I can just see them. This is the way it should have been as they're rolling their sin. Wow, this God that I've met, this God is amazing. My, my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I watched him turn water into wine. I watched him change Nicodemus' life. I watched him change a Samaritan woman. I watched him change a whole village of people. I, I saw him yesterday heal a lame man for, that was lame for 38 years. As I'm rowing now, I saw him today before I got on this boat. I saw him feed 20,000 people. This storm is nothing for my God. He can show up wherever I'm at. Five barley loaves and, 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 and two fish, and now there's 12 baskets sitting right in front of me. And today, tonight, my Jesus will come through this storm because he can do anything. The scraps were there to remind them that they didn't go, get to, to where they were at by themselves. The first thing they should remember is, God made me get on this boat. Since God made me get on this boat, I must be getting to the other side. God made me get in this ministry. I didn't choose it. Every Monday I wonder about that, but I'm telling you, I know that God's going to get me to the other side. The scraps were there to remind them, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
He came to them, he spoke to them, and when he got in their boat, the storm ceased. Today, I want us all to tell our future about our past. With Jesus in it and our past, I will never forget the scraps. The scraps were brought on the boat so you would never forget all the amazing, amazing things he's done. So remember that whatever he brings you through, don't leave that place until you take some scraps with you. I made a scrap list yesterday. I just wanted to sit down and start writing the miracles that God's done in my life since my birth. And this, this was, I, I did it in 10 minutes, so there's probably hundreds more, but I came up with 42 miracles that God has done in my life. And I know I could go on and on and on once I made this list and I was looking at this morning. And let me just say this. Every person here ought to have a basket on their boat to remember what God has done to get you here today. This basket was to cause them to remember. So everyone should have at least one basket. He wants you to know he's not just the God of our miracles. He's a God between our miracles and he's our God on the mountains and he's our God in the valleys. And whatever you're going through, I'm telling you, your God will show up and you'll be able to look back and say, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was gonna get through this. I didn't think my marriage would be healed. I didn't think I'd have food on the table. I didn't think I'd have enough money to pay the bills. But God came through because I remember the scraps. Let's stand. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you have been serving God for a long time. Some of you served God and fell away. Some of you have never given your lives to Christ. But you're not here by accident. I'm telling you, save the scraps. And you look back on your life, you're breathing today. You're above ground. All the things that you have in your life are because God brought you through it and he brought you through it to get you to this place today. You're not here by accident. He's the God of your storms. He's the God of your secrets. He's the God of your unpaid bills. He's the God of your sickness. But I'm telling you, it all starts with a relationship with him. So if you don't know Christ today or you need to come back to Christ today, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Right now, just raise up and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Raise them high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. I see that one. One, two. Any others? Three. Any others? All right. Four. Thank you. I see that one. Any others? Okay. Here's what we do here. We all pray a prayer of faith. That means you believe in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. It's not a form to that. You believe it, and you ask Jesus in your life. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's give these folks a big hand. Now, what I want to do is we're going to sing this song again, The Waymaker, and some of you are in storms. Some of you feel like you've never been counted. 
And I'm telling you, God's in your storm. God counts you. He's your healer. Whatever you need, I'm asking you to bring it to the altar today as we sing. And then people will come up behind you, pray for you. But do not sit back. This is the way you do it. You just say, just like Jesus, Father, I thank you. You're my way maker. You're the God of my storm, the God of my marriage, the God of my situation. I guarantee you, miracles will happen if you give it to him. So tell, tell the person that you, I'll go with you. But let's sing, let's come to the altar.